Well, good evening. It is Wednesday. It is March already. Can you believe it? And welcome to Coffee House Theology. We're glad that you are with us. And uh, tonight uh, we get to hear from Dr. Fadi Al-Hagal. Uh, and uh, you're going to want to uh, just listen carefully as you hear how God has uh, worked in his life uh, to, to draw him to himself and to use him in a powerful way. And so uh, I'm excited for you guys to get to hear uh, what God is doing in the area of, of mobilization and church multiplication and church planting um, among uh, really all communities here in Middle Tennessee, but specifically Fadi's Heart for the Nations. And so uh, with that, I want to remind you that you guys can submit questions that we'll take a little later on this evening. So uh, take your uh, web browser on your phone, open it up to slido.com, and uh, we should have a room number that'll come up on the screen here in just a moment for us. So uh, and uh, then you guys will be able to enter that room number, and uh, that will uh, direct you to our questions. There it is. Our room number for tonight is 62315. Uh, and so if you are new to us, uh, you can ask a question. And even if you don't have a question to ask, you can like a question. If you're like, wow, that's a good question. Uh, and then that will move it up in the feed, and we'll try to take those top down. But uh, as we get started tonight, uh, Brian, will you say our opening prayer? Absolutely. Father God, we're thankful. Thankful for your grace. Thankful for your son itself saves us. I'm thankful for this evening, Father, to, to, to see what the Spirit is doing, uh, to watch your work in, in, the, in the world among the nations here in our home. And I, I think that's just wondrous, Father, that, that there are people from places we can't get to that are coming to us. And so we have the opportunity to share your message. And bless Fadi and his work. Bless him tonight as he speaks. Uh, open our hearts and our minds to, to hear your truth in this, to hear your movement in this, Father, and change us. Uh, let us be different for encountering your spirit and encountering your truth. And bless us tonight, Father, to glorify you. It's in the precious name of Christ Jesus that we pray. Amen. 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 Well, one of the joys for me uh, in the last few years has been getting to know Fadi. And so Fadi, I've had that privilege, but a lot of our folks haven't. They've probably seen you here at Station Hill and in and out among our Brentwood campuses and our church family. But if you would, just spend a few moments sharing with us about yourself, your family, and then we, we want to hear your story, your testimony. All right. Thank you for having me and then for trusting me with a microphone. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, my name is Fadi Al-Hajjal, and uh, I was born and raised in Damascus, Syria. Uh, Damascus, as you know, is one of the great historical places, biblically speaking. Mm -hmm. uh, I was born, my house was about an hour, maybe about a mile and a half away from the house of Judas, where the apostle Paul met Ananias and the Holy Spirit of God just fell on his eyes. and. I grew up in Damascus as an Eastern Orthodox. I grew up uh, knowing history, but never had history with Christ. I grew mm. up around Christianity, never mm -hmm. had an identity in Christianity. Mm. And uh, I, in, in coming to the United States, I came in as a student. When I came to the United States, I knew how to say four words in English. So when you see somebody out there that looks like me, just remember, they may, they may not know English. So <laughs> I knew how to say four words, hi, goodbye, yes and no. So all you have to do to speak to us, just learn four words, hi, goodbye, yes and no. And I remember when I got to Martin, Tennessee, out of all places, the reason they gave me a visa to come because the American consulate, he said to me, why not Boston? Why not Chicago? I said, I don't know. 
He goes, Martin, Tennessee. Where is Martin? So he gets an <laughs> atlas. He's looking at the atlas. He couldn't find it. Memphis, Nashville, couldn't find Martin. So he took a chance on me. So my roommate is from Dyer, Tennessee. And, uh, and uh, Tommy walked into the room, and, and he looked at me, and he goes, uh, uh, do you, and you know, that's how you talk to us. You kind of scream at us so we could understand you better, right? So uh, he said, do you eat people? Now, you got to know Tommy. Tommy would ask that kind of a question. This is the kind of guy that used to sit and watch Letterman without a sound and laugh his heart out. So, <clears throat> so uh, I knew how to say four words. Hi, goodbye, yes and no. What do you think I said? I was trying to be nice. And so what I, I said, yes. <laughs> and now Tommy 6'4", Fadi is 4'6". And so I am... I'm looking up, I said, yes, and next I know Tommy just bolts to the grocery store, and he buys groceries, puts it down, and he goes, you get hungry, eat food. <laughs> and for the next six months, Tommy is just buying my groceries. When I learned, I thought Americans are awesome. So they just said, uh, so when I, when I literally began to learn some English, I said, Tommy, no food. Fadi gets food. He said, no, Tommy, Tommy gets food. I said, no, Fadi. I said, why? He goes, I don't want you to eat me. <laughs> so that's my encounter with rednecks. It was just really an awesome. So, no, and so I, I, in Martin, God took me out of Damascus, five million people, surrounded by the sounds of religious Christianity, hmm. and brought me to Martin, Tennessee. And there in Martin, Tennessee, I really contemplating going back home because I was lonely, the town was kind of small, it kind of closed in on you. Kind of. You, <laughs> you have no friends, no family. You wake up one day, you're at home. The next day you wake up, your mom and dad are distant from you, your friends. And so I wandered into a place called the Baptist Student Union. And there in the Baptist Student Union, there stood a man by the name of Tim Patterson. Tim was a resident of the BSU, and Tim goes, Church? I said, church. He goes, church? I said, church. <laughs> he goes, tomorrow. You knew five words. Now. I knew five <laughs> words. By the, you know, so I'm just repeating. So anyway, so he shows up the next day in my dormitory. We hop in a blue van, 15 passengers, end up at Eastside Baptist Church. And I walked in, and the pastor, Lynn Walker, became a father to me mm. and began to lead me to study the Word of God and begin to suggest some passages, because every time he asked me, are you a Christian? I would say, yes, I am. And I would have thought, I grew up in the Middle East, so, and then he understood what I'm saying, that, that I thought that Christianity is just an inheritance, you know, and uh, so he would guide me to passages about personal relationship with Christ, and I'd ask the questions, you know, what does this mean? What does this mean? I've never studied the Word of God like he asked me to study it. You, know, you grow up in the Middle East, you don't get a chance to know about the doctrine of grace and the doctrine of salvation, doctrine of redemption, and doctrine of death and angels and resurrection. You just hear recitation of, of things. And so when you see people, even if they grew up in the Middle East and they say they're Christians, you need to kind of dig in deeper and find mm. out, do they really understand mm. what the Word of God literally means? And so on October 30 of 1984, I went looking for Brother Lynn. I went to his house, couldn't find him. 
He went looking for me. The Spirit of God spoke to him, says, go find Fadi. Uh, I left the BSU, went to his house. He left his house, came to the BSU. <laughs> and then finally we met halfway, and I said, where have you been? I've been looking for you. He said, I've been looking for you. Mm. And I told him, I said, I can't stand it any longer. I need Christ in my life. And Amen. I gave my life to the Lord, 1984. And that was my salvation experience in here. And there began a journey of struggle with my family who thought that I became a Jehovah's Witness. Because when you, Protestantism in the Middle East is highlighted as one of the Jehovah's Witnesses divisions. Now they have better understanding of it, but then they thought if you become a Christian, you become a Jehovah's Witness. Interesting. So we had to explain over and over again. And it was not until they came to the United States that they understood the difference between the two. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Wow. Um, talk to us about how, how the Spirit has led you to your work uh, and, and kind of the, what, what you're doing for both the church and for our congregation and the general church. And, uh, and how, your, how your testimony has, has flowed into that. Sure. I, <clears throat> when my wife, Lindy, was born in, in Nashville, Tennessee, we met at school there in Martin. After our salvation, after my salvation, we started going around and sharing our testimony with churches all over northwest Tennessee. And I began to notice even then God was drawing me and, and calling me to be part of an entity that just shares the gospel, the eternal message with the nations. Mm -hmm. And I never thought of myself really being a pastor or taking a pastoral position. So I graduated, went to work in uh, the hotel business. And um, then about seven years later, uh, I, I went back to Martin to really kind of go to Southern Seminary, take my classes at Union, and then got called Lindy and I to, uh, to pastor it. Uh, and when we began pastoring, God began to bring people into our church. Now, I would preach, and people would come and join, and they'll say, Now, I don't understand a word you say, but I feel like the Spirit of God is here. <laughs> 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 and they'll join the church. And, but I also noticed that the Spirit of God began to draw, because it's a, it's a college town. He started to draw some Japanese and some Koreans and some Saudis and some Chinese, which was very unusual. Mm -hmm. for a small town church and I began to, to carry that burden for the nations in my soul even then mm -hmm. yeah. and God began to really kind of lay that burden on our soul so in prayer in our secret place with the Lord the Lord said I want you to take this church and I want them to go beyond the borders of Weekly County where we were and I want you to take them I want them to see my work in the earth so we took our people to Ukraine, Nicaragua, India. We sent missionaries to Korea, China. We went, and uh, it was people that have never been in the mission field, and therefore the burden began to grow. And then we began to host other partner churches from the region. They would come to us and say, God is doing something in here. Would you come help us revitalize our church? Or, mm -hmm. So we, became a, we kind of became a mother church for church planting, revitalizing, and raising up leaders and missionaries in that region. Wow. Yeah. That's how it all started until God transitioned us 22 years later to uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Wow. And then and your work now, right? You've got... You've got so after, after 21 years of pastorate, we began our journey toward Nashville. I began to feel the Lord is really calling us to this area. 
and um, and uh, I joined World Relief. I came up here. Tim Patterson, who took me to church mm -hmm. the first time, was working at World Relief Nashville, and I reconnected with Tim, and he hired me as the director of church mobilization for World Relief. So we began to have a, a general view of the nations that are in Middle Tennessee. And, uh, and then God began to kind of give us a burden for the pastors that are, that are leaders within these people groups. And I felt after World Relief is shut down that they are the source and the resource for the local church to engage the international world. So we created the International Leadership Coalition it's an institute to basically train and equip international pastors to be ready to minister to their own people group in partnership with the local church. And then God showed us that there need to be some church planting initiatives in Middle Tennessee and then even among the Anglo churches because a lot of young church planters started attending our residency. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's how God gave momentum to that work. Yeah. Today we have about 12 international churches within our wow. institute. We have a ministry in Pakistan. We have sewing centers in Pakistan. And we have work in the United Arab Emirates in India. This is all in three years that God has opened up through ministers that were trained here in Middle Tennessee. Last year alone, we saw over 110 Muslim Pakistanis who came to Christ Amen. through our sewing centers in Pakistan. It's amazing. This Sunday, I was attending the baptism of two new Kurdish believers in one of the churches around Opryland. And uh, then I got a phone call about a month ago from a Muslim gentleman whose family became Christians, uh, and they live in Nashville. They're Muslims. They're from Syria. They led their brother to the Lord in Beirut. His name is Muhammad. He, and, and, then, and then he got baptized by an American missionary. Muhammad calls his buddy and shares the gospel with him. He leads them to the Lord. He takes them to the Mediterranean, baptizes them. And then Muhammad and Muhammad calls their buddy. They lead him to the Lord, go back to the Mediterranean, baptize them. So God is just really Amen. wooing the nations locally and globally to the Lord. Yeah. So we believe church planting among the nations and among the people groups that are coming to Middle Tennessee is the key yeah. to seeing God at work, really. Yeah. I've had the privilege to uh, attend the International Leadership Coalition. They have what they call community nights. Yeah. And I think those are open to anyone, right? Right. Uh, Fadi, anybody who would want to come um, once, I guess, some COVID restrictions are lifted. Uh, but it meets at our Woodbine campus. Uh, and uh, Fadi graciously allowed me to lead the prayer time. And if you want to see a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like, uh, to see, I, I don't even know how many pastors are we currently training through the ILC. We have trained 32 pastors already. And by the way, Britwood and the, uh, Britwood was the main initiator of the ILC. It was a joint effort between myself and Jason Dukes and Scott Harris. So he was under the, the banner of Britwood. So we've trained 32 and graduated them from residencies so far. And we have eight more in the pipeline. Yeah, so 40 pastors being trained uh, just from nations all over the world right here. And some will stay here. 
and, and help. And, uh, and some, of course, as, as Fadi said, we believe will be released uh, across the world uh, to what God wants to do. I, I know, Fadi, you've got some statistics that yes. you, you pay, put on the handout. Uh, yes. And if you didn't grab one, they're on the table uh, right here. But uh, give us a picture, a snapshot, because I think a lot of, you know, we talk often God's bringing the nations to, to Middle Tennessee. Sure. But as you just mentioned, you have a unique vantage point because God has put you in such a position to network uh, among these groups. Give us some interesting uh, statistics and, and a profile of what God's doing. Sure. And, and so you'll see the statistics in front of you right here. Um, really, at this time, this, these statistics were a study that I did about three years ago. Since then, there has been a growth in the, on the statistics, and we're doing a study to update it right now. We're close to a million internationals in Tennessee right now. The it's statistics remarkable. used to be one out of eight. Now it's one out of seven that are in Tennessee that are born outside of the United States of America. Uh, in the middle Tennessee region, uh, we used to have statistics that says about 260,000 live in middle Tennessee from different nations, about 50 different nations. Now we're up to about 307,000 internationals that are living in the borders of Middle Tennessee. I want to point you to number three right there where it says there are 42 people groups that are considered to be unreached. These are people that have 2% or less that declares that they are followers of Jesus Christ. And the beauty here in Middle Tennessee the main, the main groups that we believe that we have the greatest concentration of in Middle Tennessee is the Kurdish people, mm -hmm. the Somali community. We have the largest Somali community in the United States in, in addition to Minneapolis. And then we have a large South Asian community that we believe in 10 years will be over 80,000 people. Wow. And uh, because of the industry and all of that. Uh, Hispanics, number five, the Hispanics, uh, we have over 155,000. I think that number is really underreported. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, so uh, I, think, I think you're seeing a picture here of the people groups that are hosted in Middle Tennessee. And uh, number, uh, let's see, uh, if you look at number six, some of the Arabic people are living in Middle Tennessee, over 30,000. That does not include the Somalis. This is, and does not include the Coptics either. Hmm. These are Iraqis, Syrians, some Kurdish who speaks Arabic from Iraq, some, uh, some people who come from Jordan, Palestine, uh, and then you'll add some of the Muslim Egyptians that are not Coptic people. The total number of Arabic people living in our region in Middle Tennessee is close to 70 to 80,000 people wow. put together. You see the field, this is, I'm giving you a view of the picture of what we have before us for the purpose of ministry planting and church planting in here in Middle Tennessee, which we believe many of them discipled will go back home and will serve uh, and glorify God. And then there are some other people groups that, are, that we forgot about. We forgot about the Chinese and the Japanese and the Filipinos and the Vietnamese and, and the Russians and, and the Ukrainians. And we forgot what exists in... Uh, in, in Bowling Green, you have a large Bosnian community in Bowling Green, over 12,000 people there. Wow. So we're consistently following the migration of the people groups where they're settling and guiding our resources and our ministers to go in that direction. On the second page, I want to point you to some facts that I did uh, 
uh, that is specifically specific to Middle Tennessee and Spring Hill. I felt like we need to maybe kind of personalize it just a little bit. Thank you. Uh, the population of Middle Tennessee today is over 2,400,000. I do a lot of collaboration with the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board, and myself and Lois McMillan and a few other people are consistently studying the statistics in this area. Here's the thing that you, we need to know about Middle Tennessee. Over 60% of the people do not claim uh, to be followers of Jesus Christ. So in Middle Tennessee, 2,400,000 people, 60% of them do not go to church and do not claim to be faithful followers <coughs> of Jesus Christ. Um, in Tennessee altogether, every year 40,000 people die so 60% of those, 21,000 people of those, have never claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ. That's how important it is for us to think about church planting. Now, so, and then I looked at the population of uh, the five fastest growing counties in population. Williamson County is one of those. The population of Spring Hill Thompson Station put together, 46,000 people, approximate few hundreds here and there. Columbia alone is 40,000. Uh, Maury County altogether is 120,000. So if you narrow the focus to our region right here, you're looking at close to almost 100. If you put the 46 with the uh, 120, you got about 150,000 people. Now think for just a second. If 60% if of the 150,000 do not go to church and do not claim any loyalty to uh, a religion, think of the field that is absolutely in here, not only on the international side, but also on the American, the native side for us in here. And the, the nations that are around you in Spring Hill, uh, you've, got, you've got Latinos, you've got East Europeans, you've got, uh, which was Russians and Ukrainians, you've got some Indians, some South Asians in here, you've got Arabics running here. Those are the main people groups that are surrounding us in this area. Yeah, there's been, you know, this assumption that uh, this part of town, you know, is pretty homogenous and that there's not a lot of diversity. But one of the things we've seen here at the Church of Station Hill, as you know, Fadi, uh, yeah. through our ESL, English as a Second Language Program, yeah. uh, just an amazing group of people uh, yeah. who have emerged, an amazing group of, of church members who are working with them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I believe um, before COVID, it was 50 plus from uh, 17 different nations uh, who are just being drawn just because of, of one program right. uh, that we had as a church. So I, I love that you're painting for us this picture of what the harvest field looks like, yeah. because we know there's a harvest field, right? Yeah. Yeah. But when you begin to, to look at it more closely, you know, you begin to see the, the, the spirit-led opportunities that he's placed before us. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, how, how we get involved, what our church is doing, uh, because Fadi now not only leads the International Leadership Coalition, mm -hmm but also is serving as our church multiplication minister. Uh, and so talk about the opportunity that you see with this great need and, and the opportunity for our church to be able to intersect that for the sake of the gospel. Yeah, so to really, uh, I would ask on a personal level that you would kind of, each one of us, seek out the passion that is within our soul first. What is my gift and how can I take my gift to engage people that could receive from my gift. If I'm a teacher, can I be a teacher 
uh, to a people group or to a, a group of people, let's say a group of men, let's say from, from an Arabic background who has no job skills mm -hmm. that can literally learn how to, how to uh, develop in their skills so they can get a better job. If, if, I am, uh, if I'm gifted to teach English, for example, how can I take a bunch? By the way, half of the internationals are women that does not speak their own language well let alone English will. So imagine about teaching English and life skills to a group of women in here. So on a personal level, first, seek out your own gifting. How can I be involved and connect with us, whether it be our multiplication ministry or through the ILC? We could funnel your gifting and make sure there's availability there. Or on a Sunday school class level or a life group level, mm -hmm. can you as a life group adopt a family? Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing. Your church was one of the very first churches that adopted an international Nepali family, and that family is thriving today. Can you, as a life group, step into the ministry among the internationals by adopting an international family that have just arrived in here? On a church level, uh, you already partner with a, an Ethiopian congregation. We need to revive that and come back and get to the field and do some activities together among the Amharic and the Roma Ethiopians. So that's how a church gets involved. On a personal level, you and somebody else, Fadi and Lynn Walker. And then on a Sunday school level, the class and a family. On a church level, the church and the community, the people group. And I believe those three levels of engagement are going to lead to harvest fruit on the mm. ground. It's so practical. Uh, yes. So helpful. Yes. Well, I love how you were called to, to Nashville, you know, at the beginning of the time that it become, right, it's becoming this international hub. Because as we became the it city, right, people have been migrating here from literally all over the world because of the economic opportunity that's provided. Absolutely. And so uh, how, has it, how, how have you seen the, those early, those, I guess those early the lessons that you learned, right, with that small church play out here with the groups in Nashville. Yeah, I, I have, I really, when I, when I decided to leave Martin, when the Lord led us out, I really began to develop a burden for Nashville, not knowing that's what God is doing in Nashville. And when we arrived in here, I began to notice something very important as to the international community and the local church. Mm -hmm. There's a big gap of how to bridge the two together. Now, there's four areas of need that I needed after I became a child of God that I, didn't, I really didn't have in my new surrounding, in my new history. Number one, I've never known how to lead something in a Western culture. Most of us um, internationals, we lead by bribe or tribe. So you either bribe your way to the top or you tribe your way to the top. Your daddy is the leader, you become one, or you bribe your way to the top. So I've never known how to lead a ministry. So having been discipled under great leaders, I began to learn and understand sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, leadership under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, teamship with the people that are around me, collaboration and the development of people. So that's number one. Number two, I've never really known how to relay the message to the, the, preach the message in such a way where it's impactful. Mm -hmm. So the discipleship area where I need to understand the biblical doctrines in a clear manner. Most international leaders do not have a clear understanding, and I mean this sincerely, 
you don't really have a clear understanding of the Word of God, so you can't communicate, communicate it right. So you may find somebody that may say, this theology is good, I accept it. We were talking about false doctrines, and this is good, I'll take that in. We bring everything to the basket, and then what we bring out is very confusing. So studying the Word of God was very important for me to relate it right. And then number three, I've never known how to lead a ministry or keep a ministry healthy. So having served in, 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 in Northwest Tennessee and learned how to grow healthy and understand what helps people flow through a pipeline of growth and disciple making, that helped me being there. And then mission-wise, most of us internationals, when we get here, we want to settle. We lose the ability to envision what God wants to do in our nation or through us mm -hmm. to other people in other states. So what I needed is the development in the minister, the man, the message, the mission, and the ministry. Mm -hmm. And so I brought these four things here with me, and I looked at all of our international ministers. They needed development just like me as ministers, the man, the character, the, the, the conduct, the identity, the DNA. They needed development in understanding the biblical message. They needed development just like me in having a healthy ministry and having a vision that goes with the mission. And that's how we designed our residency. That's what we brought to them, and now we're watching them just grow and flourish. We have people that came in as refugees, folks, came in with a, with a bag that has just their own clothes. Today, they bought houses. They're being promoted in their jobs because they sit and listen to me speak Tennessean language, uh, Southern language, and uh, they, they uh, you know, they're learning. We teach them in English. So we have churches that have bought land. They're about to relocate out of a storefront. To, so what is that? Is that? It's teaching them to envision with God and have a mission with God. And by the way, I think even on our Anglo and African-American side, our church planters need the same thing. Mm -hmm. They need development in the man, the ministry, the message, and the mission. So they can grow not just looking for a place to settle, but a place to advance with the kingdom of God. That's what the church is. God's people fueled by the Holy Spirit, moving to tell the story of his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and return. Amen. But it's a moving thing. That's and right. So we're doing it on both sides, national and international. Well, you're doing it within the culture. Within right? the because culture. all of those barriers, there's a lot of barriers for somebody like me, right, to speaking into the Somali culture. But when you raise up a pastor in the Somali culture, right. there's right. all these cultural barriers that That's are right. gone. That's right. right. That all of a sudden, when you develop him with these four with these four stages, you know, like I say, there's there's just right, it's good soil. Yes. Right. You yeah. get you get the hundredfold yield. Absolutely. Yeah. And Fadi, you've taught me something important because again, for so many of these refugees, you know, and the heart is let's reach them with the gospel. But to your point, the mission is even bigger than that, right? Because they will reach back, you know, to their homeland and, and to the people there. And, and to Brian's point in his prayer earlier, you know, God can launch them back into places that we can't get missionaries. That's right. But God has brought them to us, right. you know, to not only, you know, see them saved and raised and trained up for what's happening here in Middle Tennessee, but really, truly to the ends of the earth. That's right. And, and we're even seeing a lot of young American uh, church planters who want to work with the internationals, uh, gaining an understanding by rubbing shoulders with people that are here and understanding culture and society and, and, and mindset and thinking. 
We've already had many of our international leaders send their representation back home. Uh, a Congolese pastor, he has eight churches to oversee. He's already planted two more Praise since God. he's joined the ILC. Mm. We took a Nigerian pastor who went through our residency and sent him to Ukraine because there are Nigerian uh, uh, folks going to a college in Kiev. And so he went to minister in Ukraine. So we're tracking the people groups Amen. all over the world with our ministers being yeah, sent from yeah. here. Yeah. And also, something that was interesting you presented to, uh, to our leadership team, uh, on average, what does it cost to launch one of these, these congregations? Well, if you're, uh, it's gonna, it's, to really support a minister, anywhere from six to $10,000, because you don't really want them to, uh, you don't really want them to settle with a full-time job to begin with. Remember, they're, they're people of encounter. So they need to be working with their people, drawing from their people, contributing with their people, laboring together. That's how they were overseas. So when you bring them in here, put them in an office. <laughs> so six to $10,000, and then that's to support the minister and very little operational expenses to begin with. And, uh, and, and then as they grow, we grow our covenant commitment toward them. And, and let them, and let, because they know how to deal with little and go forward, yeah. Yeah, but, but think about that. For the cost of what a lot of families spend on vacation, we can launch an sure. international congregation <laughs> in Middle Tennessee. I mean, what, what a great use of kingdom resources. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I love the, the scripture passage you, that you brought up for tonight, right? Yes, over in First Corinthians nine. Yes. Sir. Um, why don't you Why don't you talk to talk to us about that and kind of how that how that plays? That seems to, you know, with what you've just said tonight, right? This this really sure. kind of hits the hits sure. the heart of what we're talking about. Sure. So uh, this is the Apostle Paul talking about uh, uh, being all things to all people, and uh, sh should I read just a, a yeah, please a, do absolutely, please. Two of it? Okay. All right. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 23. Uh, the Apostle Paul, now remember the Apostle Paul is one who has, has literally, uh, has, has been sent back to the people that he went to, to prosecute and persecute. And so he's about to go kill them, and then God intercepts him. And now God develops a burden and a passion in his soul for all mankind, Jews and Gentiles. And in, in, in verse 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Verse 19, he said, For though I am free from all men, uh, have made myself a servant to all, that I might win, win the more. And to the Jews I became a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, and without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak, I have become all things to all men, that I might become by all means save some. Now this I do, and that's the title, for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker of it with you. You know, the, um, this passage basically highlights three major precepts that I think are important. Number one, all mankind need the gospel. Amen. And that's what this passage is saying, saying that all mankind need the gospel. Uh, I really believe that we will never be able to, to, to passionately lead others to Christ unless we develop a burden for them to know our Christ. So it all begins with a burden. And what you feel in here is the Apostle Paul's burden 
for all mankind. All mankind need the gospel. I have, uh, you know, Radwan uh, was a refugee in Syria, and uh, uh, he, he fled Syria because of the civil war, met a missionary in Jordan, in one of the worst camps in Jordan, gave his life to Jesus. And uh, when he came, when God sent him to Nashville, and, uh, and, and I met him through World Relief, he made a statement. He said to me, he said, well, I know about Jesus. And, uh, but when I became a Christian, I started to know Jesus. So I said to him, I said, Rodwan, you can study and know Jesus better, but you'll never know anyone better than Jesus. <laughs> and that is to compare him to all the prophets that he has, that he has learned about. And that, that, that literally sent him on a mission to study the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. All mankind really need to know need to know the Lord. And then the second thing is that all mankind need to know the gospel truth. And uh, this is what he says, it's for the sake of the gospel. It's for the sake of the gospel. It's all about truth. And today, this is what separates Christianity from any other religion, truth. Is it truth or untruth? And so uh, to get somebody to think along the line of opening their heart and their mind. This is how I've come to know Christ. I began to understand what I have learned as I read the Word of God. I began to see that I really was living a lie. So the gospel truth comes through studying the Word of God. That's why we focus on developing the message in the ministry. So all mankind need to know the gospel, need to know, the, need to know, uh, need to know Christ. All mankind need to know the gospel truth. And then here's the third thing. All mankind need to know the person of truth because it is all about Jesus. I know that offends a lot of people today if we mention his name. But really think of how he's being represented in all other religions. He's, he's a prophet. He's a good man. He's somebody who came from heaven but doesn't own any authority. And, uh, but the person of Christ. When we lead someone to the Lord, we made a practice of that, by the way, even in our church in Martin, Tennessee. The first thing we want them to read is the four Gospels. And not just anything, the letters in red. Learn who Christ is. He, he really is the Alpha. He really is the Omega. He really is the wheel turning. <laughs> I mean, he is the prophet. He's the priest. He's the king. Amen. And I mean, he is everything that the Bible said he is. So we want, him, we want them to know the person of truth. And Paul is saying to us in here, I'm dealing with all mankind for the sake of the gospel. And then he's introducing them to the one who, who has given us the gospel, the word of God the Lord Jesus Christ, and he, he raises the banner real high. In our multiplication ministry, as we train new planters, we want them to, to grab a hold of these three principles. We want them to grab a hold of the principle that when they go out, whether they're international planters or local planters, they need to relay these three points. Uh, understand that all mankind need the gospel. All men not can need the gospel truth. And they need to know the person of truth. The one thing we, we release to people as they go, again, international leaders or local leaders, your mission in life is a lot more important than your position in life. Your mission in life is a lot more important than your position in life. Many people think their position leads to their mission. Quite the opposite. It's your mission that determines your position. So your mission in life 
is what determines your position in life. Your mission releases God's resources. And unless you're in mission, there'll be no resources, there'll be no God's power going forward. So the one principle we want all of our planters to know, it is your mission that defines your identity, not your position in life. Mm -hmm. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, and, I, and I love the calling, uh, and we talked about this before, that, that, that the calling has a spirit-led order to it, Absolutely. right? That, that there is a spirit's leading in this, but there are these disciplines behind it. That's right. That there is this order behind it so that the kingdom moves forth as a, as a God of order. Absolutely. And, and that's, I, I, I can only imagine how these things make the ministry, how these nations make the ministry more effective because they have the broad perspective, Absolutely. right, of both the, both the theological, the practical, and the practical. To, to make this function as a ministry. Absolutely. And, and so many times we'll see church planting almost done as a whim or an, an, uh, almost an emotional response to something. And, and it, that's not spirit leading as much as emotionally reacting. Absolutely. And so that's what's so beautiful about what you're talking about, right, is how the spirit's leading to a very practical outcome right. of the gospel moving forth and saving souls here, I mean, here in our community and across the world. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. We believe the anointing of the leader is the key mm -hmm. to, the, to the mission and the movement of what God does through their lives. And yeah. so, As we look in the Bible, right, any, any great movement of God we see is led by a person called. Right. That's right. And and so what you what we have what, we, what you do is you find the people called and you train them to their calling. That's right. Right. And and that's you know, often when we get into systems of doing this, right, right. You train people and then find out whether or not they're called later. That's right. And we've seen a lot of you know disruptive, I guess I would call church planting, done when that gets backwards. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Speaking of that order, the questions, a couple questions have come in. Fadi, someone, we would like you to repeat those four points sure. that you made earlier. I believe the M's. So. Sure, sure. The focus on the minister or the man, the message, the ministry, the mission. Every church planter needs to have development and training as a minister in the message, in the ministry, and the mission. The minister tied to who we are in our character and as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, our sonhood, our daughterhood, our identity in Christ. Uh, because you know and I know that most ministers fall because of lack of development or where the walls kind of come down. And so we want to keep them as people of integrity. The message with its inerrancy, infallibility, clarity. The ministry with its ability to make disciples who will make disciples and replicate the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. the, and then the last one is the mission. Uh, and that is we want people to envision what God is doing in Middle Tennessee and beyond. And uh, we really do that by taking our people into an actual encounter on the ground. And we say, you see it, touch it, inhibit it, grab mm -hmm. it, and now dream with us. What can you do with it? Our dream is to have a worshiping community in every one of the 91 people groups in Middle Tennessee. Amen. If Amen. we can't do it in Middle Tennessee, we better not go somewhere else to do it. <laughs> so our dream is to have a 91 Amen. worshiping communities, yeah. and our dream is to reach not only the internationals, but to go to the people groups all over Middle Tennessee. We're dividing Middle Tennessee into 12 different regions at Britwood in multiplication. Mm -hmm. We want to we create 12 different regions 
and whether you're national or international, you fall under that. There'll be a mother church for every region, like Station Hill would lead the, the, this corner. And in every region, you'll have churches under you that will co-labor with you. Mm -hmm. And that becomes the vision, the mission for you to reach out. So you could reach my son, who's 30 years of age, who grew up in church, and is struggling right now and needs to come back to the house of God. Or you can reach the next pastor's son, or maybe their friend, or you could, so skin color doesn't matter, background doesn't matter. Our field now is in Middle Tennessee is every individual who's unreached and unchurched. Amen. And the gospel goes forward anywhere, anytime to everyone who needs it. I told Brian, Fadi has a quiet intensity, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Like he starts rolling and I'm just captivated. And so it makes my heart beat fast. And brother, you might have been born in Syria, but you were a Baptist preacher all along with <laughs> four, four M's. And I mean, lining I it up. Zero. And, and really what's interesting is you share that, right? That's disciple making. I mean, all four of those M's, right, apply to all of us. But, but you're specifically, of course, applying it to, to those that God has called uh, in this way. And that's, I think, the beautiful thing and, and how we all can participate, right, in, in the mission uh, and being a part of this. Uh, a couple other questions have come in. Um, how do you choose which group to serve or partner with? As far as the internationals or the locals? Just any, any of them? Why don't, yeah, yeah. Why okay. don't or take a stab at both, both okay. those angles for us? Sure. Sure. So we, we uh, as far as the international community, and I hope I'm understanding the question uh, clearly, as far as the international community, um, we look to see um, uh, where, where, where the need is rising. For example, we partner with other uh, nonprofits on the ground mm -hmm. that are working with the international community, such as the branch or Salome Clinic or others. And I, I'm on the board of director of Salome. I'm also working with the branch and other ministries. And we consistently share information <laughs> and what's happening within that group. So we don't want to really hear things secondhand. We want to be mm -hmm. on the ground. Very good. So to see uh, how are they doing educationally, to see how they're doing socially, how are they doing with their uh, economical survival skills. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've learned that when I was at Ward Relief. Stay on the ground. Study the community. Mm -hmm. So you're not, you're not just waiting. So we study that, and then we find that. Do we go and, and is there somebody within that community mm -hmm. that could be a church planter or a minister? Is there a small church? We make the contact. We don't wait on them. We make the contact and begin to strategize mm -hmm. to see what the group at large is in need of. Uh, we also do the same when we deal with, uh, with our community in Middle Tennessee. We go to regions and see what's developing. Mm -hmm. uh, we have, uh, I was sharing uh, with Brian and, and Jay, we have, uh, uh, we're, we're partner of a ministry called Mission Insight who studies the region consistently and how the people migrate in Middle Tennessee, where they're moving, how much money they make, when do they watch TV. I mean, it's, it's really spooky what some of the stuff you, you learn about people. And, uh, but that gives us information about the pattern, the habits, yeah. what we need to do, who do we need to target, is it a young group of people? And we go and we practice three things. Be present. Mm -hmm. Be present, it means show up. Number two, be willing. It means choose a ministry to step in and say, I know there's a need. Here's what we offer to meet it. And then be strategic. 
In other words, let me take you out of the need into something that will help you survive. So we go and become present, and then we become very uh, willing to serve and meet that need, and then we become strategic to plan with the people on the ground to go forward. So uh, that's, that's how we do it. Yeah, outstanding. And if you can't tell, the Lord has given Fadi the gift of connection. Uh, that this man everywhere I go in Middle Tennessee is known and respected and he watches, right, and uses the best demographic information, but certainly is spirit-led in, in seeing the connections between this needy group and, and this leader that God is raising up and is able to connect the two of those and then equip and train. And so just incredible stuff. Here is a, I really like this question, uh, fascinating. Uh, which people group have you found the most receptive to the gospel and which people group is the most difficult to reach? The most diff- let's start with the most difficult sure. first. Yeah. The most difficult one has been uh, the Kurdish group and the Somali group. Mm-hmm. But we now have believers in, in both of them. Amen. We, we stayed at it. We, we were present. We served. And then we strategically put ministers mm-hmm. to reach out in, in apartment complexes. And now we have Somali believers with Bible studies. And we have Kurdish believers also with home groups and all of that. So the two most difficult ones have been those. Uh, the, the easiest group to share the gospel with... Uh, I'm going to say it's easy to share the gospel with Latinos, with with Spanish-speaking people. They will listen uh, because they come from Catholic background and other backgrounds. Believe it or not, it's easy to share the gospel with Muslims. Muslim people have tremendous respect for Jesus, Mm -hmm. even as a prophet. And they have a great respect for Mary because they do believe that she was the Virgin Mary. They have great respect for Christianity as a, as, a, as, a, as a religion of conduct. And because Christianity has roots in the Middle East, they're open to hear the story. So it's easy to share the gospel with Muslim people. And that, that we think the opposite quite a bit, mm-hmm. but it's really not. Yeah. You, could, you could share the, and we're seeing a lot of Muslims come to Jesus. Amen. Praise the living God. Amen. Amen. So good. So good. Yeah, it's fascinating. Just had a conversation with a Muslim man who's been visiting here this week. Uh, and, and he said, right, I'm drawn to the Christian message, you know, the message of the love and the peace and the compassion, uh, you know, that you all have been talking about in church. And so it's a great point, right? But we have these kind of built up stereotypes and fears sometimes in our mind. But like you said, when you engage these people, and it's simply thinking like a missionary, isn't sure. it? Being present, being willing, and then being strategic, strategic. with how we meet those needs. That's, right. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, I guess we had one other question, right? Which uh, and it moved, so now I'm going to be confused. Oh, I see it rolled to the top there. there uh, what is your greatest challenge for the, the native church, seeing that 80 percent of our churches are in decline, evangelical churches? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This is not necessarily my greatest challenge. I would call it a challenge, but a joy. Uh, I do believe coming out of COVID, God is doing a new thing. Uh, Isaiah said, I'm going to do a new thing, and you will know it, and you'll see it. So while it is a challenge, the challenge is to awaken the struggling church to see that there is a way into renewing their mission, their vision. 
And uh, so with the pastors struggling to really envision because they've caught themselves in the mindset of maintenance. You know, I'm just, I just want to come out of this and see how, how, how does my church look like? When in reality, the, the, the greatest opportunity is the greatest challenge. Yeah. Their challenge is their opportunity. If they open up and see, I could come along, an American church planter that can reach the American folks that are around me, or an international church planter that can help me partner and great, get a greater vision understanding. So, but I believe the Lord is doing a new thing. The second thing I believe... Another challenge, and this may sound a little different to a, a very strong biblical church, which I believe you are, and, uh, uh, and that is understanding what the gospel is saying about mission. Because oftentimes, most of our churches have a hard time. They separate mission from the making of discipleship. Mm -hmm. And so understanding the gospel message about mission and disciple making is a major challenge. So I believe God is releasing new wine, new revelation. Mm -hmm. I believe the Spirit of God is going to give greater clarity to the gospel. And I believe the third challenge is uh, churches to open their heart and to receive uh, the, the, the stability and the resourcefulness of churches like Station Hill. Because this church can literally bring about 20, 30 ch churches back to life. And I mean this sincerely. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on a part-time staff currently with the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. And we believe about 75% of our churches may end up needing revitalization. Hmm. So Station Hills being one of the leading churches in Middle Tennessee may be stepping into a field that I think will be a tremendous field. It's a challenge for a church to say... I will give myself to the leadership of Station Hill. And, uh, but it's an opportunity for a church to say, I would gladly come under the covering of Station Hill. I mean, right now at this time, I'll take your pastor and give him 50 churches and 50 pastors to train. And uh, a tremendous man of God. I, I sit here and I, I write your words word by word, by the way, so I can preach them. So, but uh, <laughs> but uh, you, you're an awesome man of God. And I, I'm serious. You're not going to find many Jay Strothers all around Middle Tennessee. And I mean this sincerely. I, I don't mean this. I mean this very, very sincerely. Yeah. Well, that's the scattering of the seed, right? One of the things COVID has kind of done is pushed us out. And so we're not this big mass that groups, right? We're right. now all these individual seeds. Right. And that used constructively right. can rebuild right. all of these churches. Right. You know, and, and, and that's what God says, right? Something has to die for, for, new, for new works to come up. And so this may be that scattering that brings back the local churches in, in almost a network. And we become a Galatia, right? right? Which is that whole little set of churches, right? That's Paul right. didn't write to one church. He wrote to those little set of churches. That's right. That's right. And so we become this set of churches here in Middle Tennessee doing the Lord's work together. Yeah, that word scattering very much in the book of Acts, as oh, yeah. we've studied repeatedly, right. you know. And so what the enemy intends to frustrate and destroy, God will simply use, right, to That's spread right. the gospel even, even further. So incredible. Well, Brian, there's a couple of questions. Oh, Fadi, did you have something? No, I was going to say with the international world, a challenge would be just feeling the oddness. It's mm -hmm. really how do you connect with internationals when you've mm -hmm. not really known that. But it's a lot easier than people think. 
Mm. It's really a lot Good easier. Word. A smile, a conversation, mm. uh, an outreach, it, it just yeah. it breaks down so much barriers. I'm well, looking, and back to what you shared earlier, I think that that's such a helpful grid for us to think one-to-one, -one, right? right. What, yes. what can I do? Where can I build a relationship? Yes. A lot of us have co-workers, again, yes. with Middle Tennessee being flooded, neighbors, right. uh, you know, who are coming to us one-to-one. Life group to family, right? Yeah. You know, these the stories, and we've had several of our life groups adopt some of these, um, you know, whether through World Relief in the past or, or some of the, the organizations now. It's a beautiful way for a life group to serve because these immigrants God is bringing to us. I mean, a lot of people don't realize Nashville is a United Nations relocation city. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, everybody thinks Nashville, and they think white people and, you know, country <laughs> music, music, but right? it, it's certainly not that anymore. And so when these people arrive, the government gives them some funds. But can you imagine, I, I know some of our uh, Bhutanese, Nepali refugees, families we adopted, they, they were raised in, in a camp. They had, can you imagine being given American money and saying, go find your way to a Walmart? Mm. And, and, and so they just need a family to walk with them. They needed families to show them how the shower worked. And, and by doing that, you build a relationship. I mean, so like you said, it's not as hard as you think. And then congregation to congregation, we are sponsoring the Ethiopian congregation in part because we have about 15 Ethiopian children who God has allowed to be adopted into yeah. our church family here at Station Hill. And so that's a natural affinity for many of our families as well. And so you look for those connections. And as you said, it's it's just about taking that step. That's right. It is. It really is. And, and understanding the one-on-one -on -one culture you'll hear stories that will either break your heart mm -hmm. or it will make you open up and say, okay, I want to do more. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first came to World Relief, this young lady kept getting fired. She grew up, she was a Nepali young lady, and she grew up in a camp, in a refugee camp, and she was hired at the Opryland Hotel, and uh, she would be, they'll fire her, then rehire her. And finally, uh, they came to us and they said, look, we, we can't, we cannot keep her. They said, why aren't you keeping her? They said, because we tell her, wear your name tag, and she'll take it off. She will not wear her name tag. And, uh, and I asked them, I said, well, what, did you ever ask her why she'd taken off the name tag? And they said, no, we never did. She was taking off their name her name tag because when she got raped, they put a tag on them. Hmm. And that was a reflection of a terrible experience. Mm -hmm. Anything that, that her name was on, she had a hard time with it. Mm -hmm. She needed some counseling, trauma healing, development mm -hmm. and counseling, and stories like this. It'll give you an idea of what was going on in that world, but it'll also open your heart. It'll make a missionary out of you. <laughs> I'm serious. I used to hate Jews until God put Jews in my family. Amen. Uh, my wife's stepdad is a Jew. And I grew up in Syria being taught to hate Jews. And when Lindy told me my stepdad is a Jew, I thought God just was going to, he, this was not fair. Why would you introduce <laughs> me to an American young lady uh, whose daddy is a Jew? Little did I know that God was developing within me a love for the Jewish nation and for mm. the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm. so when I met Eli, he's like, come here, you. And I said, don't touch me. Don't touch me. <laughs> But then Eli God has a sense of humor, he doesn't does. he? We became best of friends. Lindy Praise led God. all of her Jewish sisters to the Lord. Amen. They're messianic believers. Mm. And we've been talking to a couple of churches about starting a ministry among the Jews here in Nashville. Amen. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Amen. 
Yeah, we do have a couple of questions that we that we like to ask everybody that comes. Yeah. And the first is, is how does the work that you do help the church love each other better? Well, I think I think what we do um, awakens because we become givers. We end up appreciating the fact that we're we become selfless. And when I see you uh, giving of yourself, it makes me attracted to your gift, your calling, and it makes me want to come alongside of you and mobilize to move forward and serve the Lord with you. And so I think the church becomes tighter, knitter, and closer to one another when we are serving and on mission with the Lord, and therefore we end up loving one another and loving each other's calling and supporting each other's calling. Uh, the second question we ask is, how does this help the church witness to the world? I think there's a pretty direct application on this. Sure. <laughs> sure. I, I, I'm going to say locked up within the church is uh, if, if you're the saved, you're the missionary. <laughs> and when you see the picture in front of you and when you see the potential in front of you, then it'll make you want to go back. I, I, I don't recommend that we go back to the strategy table and say, okay, Fadi has encouraged us, let's put a plan, let's go forward. I, I'm going to encourage you to go back to your secret place. Hmm. Go, back to the, go back to your Elijah cave. Go back to where the Spirit of God have met you this morning and ask the Lord, first of all, give me a burden for my region. Hmm. Number two, give me a burden for my neighborhood. Give me a burden for the people around me. Hmm. Give me a burden for the nations that are around me. And then come back to the table and share your burden with somebody else. And as you sit down and share the burden, God releases strategy. Now, I've talked about 2,400,000. I've talked about 300,000 internationals. I just want to say to, to all of us and to all of our Brentwood system, the size of the assignment is not a factor with God. Amen. That's right. The size of the assignment is not a factor with God. We, God doesn't call people based on their size or the size of the assignment. God calls people based on the size of their God in the assignment. Yeah, that's good. So the size of the assignment is not a matter. Think of Joseph. When God awakened all of Egypt, if God awakens you, then God is going to awaken everyone around you to your calling. You're going to mess things up. <laughs> so, so, I mean, think of it. All of Israel had to adapt to Joseph's calling, and all of Egypt had to adapt to Joseph's calling. So the size of the assignment, it doesn't matter. It's not the assignment. It's the man of the assignment that God chooses to go forward with. So whatever God calls you to do, just know he's going to shake heaven and earth to make it happen. Yeah, yeah so good. So good. Well, Fadi, we're, we're so encouraged, and it just uh, my heart's beating fast just with what you're sharing with our folks. And, and you've already mentioned some specific ways to get involved, but if they, they want to follow up specifically, what's the best way for, for them to reach you? Sure. Um, uh, you can email me at uh, Fadi at uh, falhajal at brentwoodbaptist.com, uh, or you can just call me at 731 731-571-8821. 8821. Just connect with me, and I would love to just sit down and grab a cup of coffee and, and dream with you about what the Lord will take. 
Lord Amen. God, we take this. Amen. Well, this man encourages me, encourages us, uh, blesses our church family. How can we pray for you tonight as we close? Sure. Uh, uh, as you know, just pray for uh, uh, our new assignment in Middle Tennessee. And uh, we really believe that God is about to open doors in Middle Tennessee that are going to be unbelievable. So pray for, the, for us to discern who are the key chosen that we can partner with. Uh, that's from a professional level. On a personal level, just pray for my family and I. We're still settling and, uh, uh, and our children. Pray for Samuel, Christian, Muna Grace, and Leila Sue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, would you show uh, Fadi our appreciation tonight for being with us? Thank you, brother. And uh, let me close with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for uh, this man that you have clearly, uh, God, called uh, to be your son and that you have equipped for such a moment as this, as you have brought the nations to Middle Tennessee, God. You have brought Fadi, uh, God, to um, be a man who goes to that secret place and hears from you, uh, and God uh, comes out with a burden, uh, and God translates that burden and has the ability to do that into connections and and mobilization and uh, opportunities, God, to expand and build your kingdom. So we're grateful that he's here to guide and resource us. Uh, God, we pray uh, in the specific ways he's asked us to pray tonight. God, one for discernment um, as, uh, as he continues to lead the International Leadership Coalition as he's uh, serving with our church family right now in this full-time role. Uh, there is a lot on his plate, uh, but Father, clearly he's energized by your spirit and uh, wants to bring spirit-led order uh, to these opportunities. So God, would you find us faithful as individuals, as groups, as a church, as a church family, uh, God, to, to be the missionaries that you have created us to be uh, right here and beyond. And then, Father, would you bless his family as they continue, to God, as he said, to, to settle into this new role and rhythm. Uh, God, we pray for his beautiful wife and for their four children uh, that you would draw them close to yourself. So, God, uh, would you bless our friend Fadi. And, uh, God, we look forward to being a part of what you're doing uh, among the nations here at home and to the ends of the earth. Thank you for Jesus, and it's in his his name we pray. Amen. 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 I received that. Thank you.